Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, cool dudes. Welcome to another episode of Marriott Makes a Movie. And in this one, I'm lucky enough to speak to Ian Morris, director of The Festival, a film that has just been released. It's the summer film of 2018 and I was lucky enough to have a part in it I went round Ian's um, edit suite this is about a month ago and we chatted about the film and other directing stuff this is possibly one of my favourite podcasts meanwhile I've started making my um, opposite end of the spectrum low budget film I've got £820 in donations thank you very much everyone's donated if you want to find out about my film go to marriottlarwood.com forward slash movie, where there are details about how I'm getting along and if you want to donate anyone who gives a pound or more then I'll send you like a, a copy of the video want to link on YouTube or something like that anyway no one really cares about my film but they do care about the festival um, early on Ian references me as a bald egg policeman and I should tell you the story about this when I was cast as a policeman in this film I had a bit of a beard and Ian came into the makeup room and I asked him whether I could leave it on or shave it off. I said I prefer to have a beard. And then he informed me I had to shave it off. And then I said it makes me look like a boiled egg. And from that point onwards, Ian referred to me as boiled egg policeman on set quite a lot. But in the, in the titles, I'm called PC Larwood. Anyway, do go and watch the film. It's out in cinemas now and support the british film industry i had a lot of fun making it and it's directors like ian who help a lot of british struggling british comedians like myself get work so go and see the festival i haven't seen it yet but i'm sure it's gonna be (laughs) very funny all right let's listen to the podcast I am here in the delightful edit suite with Ian Morris, uh, 
director, writer, you would probably say director more than writer now. Well, the past year I've been directing a film, yeah, so I've been doing more of that than I have been writing the past year. So you've been directing the feature film, uh, yes. The Festival, yeah. starring uh, PC Larwood. PC Larwood, also known as Bored Egg Policeman, also known as Brother David, I think. Uh, no, Brother Something Other, and also known as Mary Larwood. M. Yeah. Lord, M. Lord, painted decorators. And you have, uh, that's a reference to the characters I play in the festival, the forthcoming film. I mean, it's basically about two lines. and <laughs> Two lines for lots of days filming, and quite a lot of scenes as well. Yeah. So you've also directed the Inbetweeners 2. Yeah. And other bits of bobs. I wonder... I think of them, bits and bobs. Go on. Whether you actually enjoy it. Yeah, good question. Because I... What? You seem to enjoy it. On, on, it's quite weird being an actor and working on different jobs. Yeah, yeah. You see different styles of yeah. of direction. And your sets are always quite fun. Yeah. I don't know whether you think that's a purpose. Because I, I, I wonder what it's like for directors because you only see yeah. yourself work and you always yeah. wonder what it's like, when how other directors uh, direct things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's really, I mean, that's, that is the thing. Well, I mean, we were lucky because when we did the in-betweeners, we worked with a few directors. So we worked with Ben Palmer, who's great, and we worked with Gordon Anderson, who's great. So he learned sort of vaguely what other people are doing. But we were quite, you know, in control. But Dame and I certainly got a big say in what we were doing on the in-betweeners. So, you know, I'd seen a couple of other people working. I've got friends who are directors, and I've spent days on set with them broadly. But no, yeah, you're absolutely right. You don't really know. So you're kind of just trying to do your best. So for me, I really like actors and particularly funny actors they're my favorite people and i really like because i think i think i'm quite funny but i'm definitely not the funniest person you'll ever meet and i think almost everybody i've worked with i said um, i said that about you i said that about me like really like so backhanded no i think that you i think and so i and I, my, my big thing in my in my life has always been like creatively don't be the funniest person in the room be like in a room full of funny people that will make you laugh and you can hopefully make it a bit better but broadly if you're the funniest if I'm the funniest person in the room I start worrying I'm like and this probably isn't going to be that funny and so for me being on set is a bit like that it's a bit like oh this is fun this is like it's, like, it's properly fun it's like it's supposed to be fun I've got you know the stress and the pressure of the time and the day and getting the shots and all that but broadly you know there's not many jobs where you hang out with really funny people and, you know, between takes, you have a laugh and stuff. I'm not sure how I'd be if someone was method and they were really into it because I quite like mucking about. But, no, I think it's supposed to be... I mean, it's... Also, the other thing is that I think, and I might be wrong, because, again, I don't see it from your side, but for me, the theory is kind of if you keep it... Keep people laughing, try and keep people enjoying themselves, then they're more relaxed about their performance. And did you... When you started out thinking, I'm going to go into directing stuff, were you intimidated by... As you come from the performance side of it, by the technical side of it, thinking, all right, what do I need to know exactly what lenses to use? Yeah. Do, I, do I have to storyboard every single moment of this? Do it? How much? Yeah. What's my relationship with the DOP? Yeah, all of that is incredibly intimidating, and it's kind of it's a weird one actually because it's quite. I think maybe I don't know if it's a male thing or just a personal thing, but um, you know, you it's quite easy to get lost in the technical side of it once you start going down that rabbit hole because you're kind of like, I don't really know anything about this camera or even these lenses at times. And you're just well, like I heard you shouting out um, actual lens uh, measurements. Yeah. I was quite impressed. Oh, let's go to an eighty-five on that or this, and I thought, oh right. Well, that's yeah. just that's more like a kind of memory thing. But again, it, it does help when you're talking to, you know, because I had a very good DOP, Simon Tyndall, and he was, and I've worked with Ben Wheeler, he's a very good DOP as well, and and they, 
are very technical, but they're also good at translating what you want. So, so strictly, I wouldn't really have to know anything. I could just say to them, oh, can we go in a little bit? Or can we make it a bit, a little bit more like this, like that? But actually, quite quickly, you learn what size... I mean, literally nothing else do I know apart from what size the lenses are. And broadly, if the cameraman doesn't move his position, broadly, what how that shot is going to look different on a different lens. So broadly, what he'd be saying is, I get shown this shot, I'd think, mm, that's a bit loose. I knew that when they were putting it on, it was maybe a 35. So I'd say, I'll probably get the wrong way around now. I'd say, how about we go to a 24? Actually, which is wider. So we go wider. So I will go, okay, if it's a 35, how about let's go to a, you know, I don't know what the next one would be, like a 42 or something. So, so basically that's what I was doing. Pretty much I was just saying, can we go a bit tighter? Can we go a bit wider? And I just remembered what those lenses broadly look like. So that's, what, that's how I was impressing you. And in terms of preparation, so for, let's take this festival, for example. Yeah. You get the script through. Yeah. You know, I'm. I'm going to make that script. Yeah. Um, what do you do in storyboarding and being how yeah. much how much preparation? How loose are you on the day? Because obviously it's quite a difficult film. Yeah, to make. You're, actually, you're shooting on actual actual festivals, so yeah. that's a bit of a pain. No, it was a hugely. It was an incredibly complicated, difficult film to make. Much more so than anything I've done before, and probably more than I'll do in the future, hopefully. But um, my talk thing, and yeah. yeah, and so you know, you go through the script. It's like anything. You start at the start of the beginning. You go, okay, well, here's you know, here's this page. What's funny about that? All right, it's that. And then I do a thing that I actually learned from Ben Palmer, which was to do a. So I'd roughly storyboard my own storyboards. I just do little drawings, sketch drawings, and I do a top down. So I'd look, okay, like if this person's standing here, and this person's standing here, and this person's standing here and they're going to move to there, and they're going to move to there, I'd be like, okay, so just to get the coverage, just to get the jokes, what are the... I've got my file here, actually, which is no good for the podcast, but anyway. What are the camera positions we're going to need to get a single of him looking at her, of her looking at him, a mid-shot? And then you'd add it up, and you'd be like, okay, that's 15 camera positions. And you think to yourself, well, they're not going to give me enough time to do 15. So how can I knock that down? What shots do I need? What shots don't I need? And then, and then you sort of, you know, evaluate each scene and go, because it's, you know, low-budget British comedy filmmaking. You're like, okay, not every scene is going to be with a steady cam and a crane, this, that, and the other. So that scene in a bedroom, okay, that's going to, you know, we'll try and get that one done quickly. But then this one, right, I'm going to go and need, I'm going to need a storyboard artist to really storyboard out what's going to happen here. And then I can talk to them about what I want and change it a bit. And then I'll... You know, look at it again, and then I'll you know try to expand it out. And then, for example, in the the chase scene that you're in, in the script that was like they chase him, they catch him, and it's about four lines. And you sort of think to yourself, okay, well, if I'm watching the film, <laughs> what's that going to look like? I was mm-hmm. like, it's probably going to look a bit boring. So you need to cast some real stuntmen acting, like yeah, really so fast you, running. You need somebody who can run fast in a police outfit and look like a bald egg while they're doing it. And it was, you know, there were two or three actors we saw. Um, but you were obviously the, the best. The bold, the, most like a bold. Yeah. <laughs> just you or Jason Statham. But no, well, yeah, Jason so just, Statham, Matt Lucas. You, Matt Lucas, Jason Statham. You're like the middle ground. You're like yeah. basically the halfway point. <laughs> if like Matt Lucas is the after and Jason Statham is the before, you're kind of the middle. Yeah. The middle point. Um, or the other way around. But you, uh, yeah. So broadly, it was like you know you just sort of think out those things as well. So you try and expand bits out of it, and then what tends to happen is they you know producers come to you and go, you've got this many days to shoot it, and you go, oh, yeah, I can't. Can't do all that. I want to mind. Is it incredible pressure? Do you feel, having done? You're doing sort of massive, 
you know, who, who funded this? Channel 4 and... Yeah, Film 4 and Entertainment Film Distributors, yeah, who did both the between us films, actually, yeah. So you had that, and because you've had such success before... Yeah. It's, I've just been speaking to sort of low-budget film producers and just desperate to get you know, yeah. filmmakers who make stuff, yeah. and there's not that pressure. Do you, are you aware that you, I mean, you're going to make is going to be reviewed by every sort of paper and... Uh, yeah, no, I'd say that this has been the most pressure I've ever felt under and certainly the most stressed I've felt doing anything in my entire life. Yeah, it is. And also not writing it. I mean, Joe and Keith did a great job writing it and I think they're really good writers. But this was kind of like, I guess when I went into this, I sort of thought to myself, oh, okay, well, I'll just direct something. I'll be fine, I'll direct that film and then I'll go and do this, I'll direct something that I've written afterwards and that'll be my big thing. But quite quickly, I became aware of the fact that actually they're going to sell this on the back of the in-betweeners and my name. And, you know, you get, when you think about your name being important, you just think, oh, I'm just going to go and do that thing in England for a few months and then I'll, you know, be all right. And then quite quickly I was like, oh, shit, I mean, oh, fuck, this is like, really? Oh, fucking hell, fuck, I better put a bit more time into it. So, yeah, no, it's been, um, yeah, it's been extraordinarily, and still is, every day, every waking moment, I have a sort of, some sort of, pain or stress somewhere um, but you know but filming it I always think when you're literally you're doing long old for people who don't know you the hour that, the amount of days you do that, the length of the days yeah. you're up about six in the morning aren't you I suppose yeah we did I mean the weird thing about this film is that normally, so normally your day would be like let's say it's an eight to eight day so it's twelve hours and then you probably have to get to set for seven so you probably have to get picked up at like six six thirty so you're getting up at you know maybe six or Five forty-five or something. Then you get back later. So they're long, really long days when you're filming. Yeah, but this was actually the weird thing about this because it's day and nights we were shooting. I don't think we had any form of schedule. I mean, the last week you were there for most of that. That was seven p.m. to seven a.m. every night. You know, the, before that we'd been doing sort of finishing at three or four in the morning. I mean, it was it was brutal, brutal. It's not going mad. I mean, I, I'm a bad <laughs> sleep. I'm a bad sleep because I was sleeping for about two. Oh, yeah. I was in the hotel. And I kept on because you put kindly put me in, gave me loads of days and put me in the night scenes. But I was getting two or three hours sleep. I think I've gone. I feel like I've gone. Yeah. Totally insane. Yeah. I mean, I really like drinking, and when I'm shooting, I have to stop drinking because it just even one glass of wine, I'm like, this is the next day is really really difficult. So it's kind of yeah, it's sort of um, it's still again, you know, and and it, it, but it's sort of the fun bit in a weird way when even when it's kind of not fun, but also again that thing you said at the beginning is it's part of like. Part of my job is to make it seem like I'm okay when I'm massively not okay. Like that's sort of quite a lot of the director's job is when everyone's struggling a bit with the nights and stuff. Is everyone to look at you and go, "Wow, I still got energy." Yeah, you, you've got to be the focal point and be in total yeah. control and calm. But what do you do when you're shooting something? You're thinking to yourself, "All oh, right, this is shit," or the performance I'm getting is shit, and I'm, I'm sure it didn't apply to this film. No, no, it did. But how yeah. do you how do you get? Well, you do a few things, don't you? you sort of think to yourself, okay. How long have I got to fix this? How important is it that it gets fixed now as opposed to later? I mean, we all, everything we've done right from the in-between as the first series onwards, we've always allowed for reshoots. So there's been a few... I mean, Dave and I used to joke about we'd watch things when we were doing stuff and we'd be thinking to ourselves, yeah, when we're, we're reshooting this. <laughs> like, even like the first in-between this film. Day one, it was like watching everyone collapse and we're just watching it going, yeah, okay, well, that's one day of our four days of reshoots we've lined yeah. up, gone. So there's a bit of that, there's a bit of everything, so you're just planning it in your head. But then sometimes it's like, so on this shoot, we had a big day with 150 extras, supporting artists, who are really important, actually, because, you know, to try and make a film about a festival without 
it being full of people. It's just yeah. a field with tents in it. So it's yeah, they were really important and they're really really expensive because it's not just like their fees, which aren't you know catastrophic, but it's like feeding and all that sort of stuff. So suddenly, and you have real pressure on those days. And the idea was that the, this was the entrance to the festival for the three the three leads. Hugely important, you know. We as the audience see the festival for the first time. So I had this idea: we steady cam, we go, we swing from one group through a crowd to another group, through a crowd to another group. Through, you know, that was the, how the entrance to the festival was going to be. And he did it four or five times. I was like, "This looks empty. Like, there's not. We haven't got enough people, and we haven't got enough money to get this many people back again. So it's sort of done for." So I was like, "Okay, I've got to come up with something that's going to." make it look like it's a really big, busy festival, which has got to be a different idea from the one that I'd planned. So that was, you know, that's an example of doing something a bit, thinking a bit differently, but knowing that you can't really change where you are. And then sometimes it's just like, I mean, performances are pretty difficult because most, I mean, we're pretty, we spend a lot, say we, you know, me and Damon and Claire, we spend a lot of time casting, like a lot of time looking at people for casting. So you kind of know by the end of the audition process, what people can and can't do. And if you think they're going to be difficult to get a performance out of, then you probably haven't cast them. So then it's just about getting the actor in the right headspace, I think. Um, but there you go. What have you... It's been quite a stressful uh, <laughs> shoot. I mean, I would have hated to direct a film in a festival with that. Yeah. So difficult. What have, what have you come away thinking, oh, what have you learned from this shoot other than that you wouldn't do a festival film again? <laughs> yeah, we know. There's no sequel. Um, I just think it's. I mean, I guess what, I've learned so much doing it. I think. I just. I don't know really. I've had sort of. I guess. I suppose I've had ideas reinforced. So you know, I think the performances in this film are really, really brilliant. I really do, and I think that's the thing when you have fun. Like you know, so many times you know, Again, I'm, it's annoying that we're talking. I'm talking to you about it because normally I would never say this. But, you know, we're talking about your character as a policeman. And me and Claire, the producer, have talked about it many times. And we said that, imagine if we just cast somebody who wasn't funny. It would have been, the film would have been different. And, you know, and it, it would have been unbalanced. It wouldn't have had the same comedic aspect that it does because of you doing it. And, and that's something that I've really come away with. There's a very sort of firm belief in, you know, comic actors and comedians and people to play funny roles and really believing in them to, to lift the whole film you know, Nick Frost very sweetly did a cameo for half a day he's in one scene in the film and he's amazing it's almost like my favourite scene in the whole film it's brilliant mm. and again it's, and, that, and that is the thing so it's a kind of reinforcing of that rather than learning anything necessarily I'd say I just did a sitcom a Romesh Rangnason sitcom yeah. I did a pilot in there and they recast two of the roles yeah. or they had to do a recast for yeah. someone left and it the change in it was I couldn't believe it because I'm just a bloke who sits at the bar yeah. so I get to watch the whole thing yeah, yeah. and I get to see it in the monitor I was amazed by how as if the script had changed totally and the whole all knock on the domino effect of yeah. one casting is yeah. just incredible. it's incredible it's like we did I mean you know the first season of the Inbetweeners we did a pilot of the Inbetweeners with four different cast members who were all really good and funny they were very young much younger because we wanted to cast the real sort of age and, you know, it didn't really work. It was a long, long time before they decided to do the series. And then when we did the series, we recast the four roles to slightly older people. And, but the script, which was basically bunk off, was the same. And it just went from being something that just didn't, somehow it wasn't working. And it wasn't their fault as actors. 
it was we hadn't cast them in the right place. We hadn't given them the right roles. And suddenly, same script. Basically, what was worth worth the same script they did is still one of the people's favourite episodes. And it's just, you know, it's... That's what's so annoying about funny people, funny actors, is you want to be really horrible to them. And you want to think, I can just replace you with anyone, but you can't. It's really difficult. So saying that, would you do a drama next? Me? I don't think I want to buy a drama off me, but I'd like to do it. No, I'd like to. I mean, I think there's a, probably a shelf life on uh, me doing, you know, toilet humour. Although, or is there? No, Who knows? It's funny. I'm pretty good at it. Do you get annoyed that... Um stuff the toilet humour and what's seen as base humour hasn't really got that filmic value will never get appreciated as well I think it's interesting isn't it because I, I think one of the best films comedy films ever made is Animal House which was kind of you know just derided as a sort of uh, you know toilet humour and again even at, uh, American Pie which I think is a really sweet beautiful coming of age character study but it has gross out moments in it and I guess that's what I've been going for with the in-betweeners and with this it's a sort of you know bigger moments talk about moments but fundamentally a sort of sweet character study really but no there's definitely a, you get a sense sometimes particularly in the film world you get a sense of like um, it's a Dolly Parton I'm going to misquote where she said something like it costs it costs a fortune to look this cheap and I feel a bit like that about sort of broader comedy is it's really hard to get it right like it look but it looks easy if you're if you're, if you're if you're making it look simple and effortless then it's probably really really difficult um is my own is what i basically tell myself when i'm braced for terrible reviews i don't think it'll get terrible reviews but i, I think don't think very... it will i think it's i think it's really funny i'm actually i'm you know weirdly very proud of it so. I think you're very good on set at coming up with suggestions and funny things which other people don't um do. So I'm, who's the best director? Who's the funniest director you've worked for? Then do you think? You're you, me. Yeah, good fine. Just I think there's certain. What's interesting is there's technical directors and there's actuary directors. Yeah, yeah. And I've done a couple of jobs where I, you just think that director's not even talking to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even talking to you. Yeah. But then they'll just do bits where they'll just go. They'll get coverage just until you're completely, you feel like just me doing the last, <laughs> sort of doing them again and again, and there's still different camera angles, and thinking, these are half performances, are shit, but yeah. you're always worried about, he's thinking of the edit, thinking, well, yeah, yeah. I've got that covered. I mean, how much are you constantly thinking about the edit? when you're Always, yeah. constantly, yeah, constantly thinking about the edit. You've constantly got to be thinking, because that's where, you know, that's where you sort of make it, particularly comedy films, it's like, you know, comedy TV shows, you're, I, th- I always think that it's like you write a script you make it as funny as you possibly can then you get onto set to try and shoot it and because of various reasons it's like it's falling apart in front of your eyes you're like oh my god what's going to happen and then you know and some of it gets better because of performances but broadly it's not the same thing that you thought you had and it's all out of order and it's different you know everything looks different it's like oh that wasn't what I was expecting and then you get back into the edit and you're like okay well let's try and remake something else so it's almost like it lives you know in three different three different ways and then it goes out and then people decide what it is how much of it is doing a, a, doing directing a high profile film you've got your directing stuff on how much of it is it dealing with other sort of the business side of it and other sort of funding and all that stuff is it quite hands off or yeah no it's our company so theoretically I'm involved but actually Damon Beasley who's my co-founder sort of, of the company or co-founder of the company with me I guess and 
Claire Jones, the producer, are brilliant. They've been brilliant at just like not really bothering me with all that. So I haven't really had to worry about it because I'm an artist. So I don't have to get my hands dirty with the money or anything like that. I just go, I just stomp my feet. I need this. Need this. You tell them. You tell them I need this. My art. And they basically have made it happen pretty much. And what's your favourite part of the process? The shooting or the editing or? Um, I don't know really. I kind of... I equally despair and enjoy all of it. I think I don't like the stress of shooting, but I don't not like it. And I, it's, I really like being with actors, and I like the kind. Also, I have this. I you know they have this rule of no phones on set, and I quite like how that forces me to focus myself. So I'm actually like, right, I'm here. I've got a thing to do. Got to do this thing, but it makes thing work. So. Yeah, I quite like that. I quite, I quite like shooting. I mean, but then editing's sort of just a... Editing's weird, because editing's like... Initially quite low pressure, because you've got a bit of time. But it's like watching your mistakes again and again and again and again and again. You get annoyed with yourself thinking... Oh, oh yeah. Good. I'm just like, oh, that's not what I thought it would be. Oh, I should have done that. Oh, God. Why that? And that's why, actually, it's quite interesting. I think that's where a little bit of experience comes in handy on set. It's because you're getting, you think a lot of people saying to you, we should move on, we should do this, we've got that, haven't we got this, shouldn't we do this, shouldn't we do that? And your brain's going, oh yeah, everyone's waiting on me, I don't want to be late, I don't want to do these things. But you know that if you don't do it, you get to the edit and you just beat yourself up for months for not asking for a different performance or not saying, no, we have to do one more thing or no, let's get this thing right before we shoot it. Because, you, you know, particularly on the big screen, you're literally watching corners. Like, I mean, I don't know if you're on set for a lot of these bits, but... We were moving, people, well, we, people were moving tents around to make it seem like a full field for, I mean, hours of their lives, shifting tents that were so background. But it's, it was worth it. At the time, I remember thinking to myself, am I being picky? Is this weird? But now, now I watch it back, it's like, oh, thank God. Mm. It'd be so annoying to see big empty spaces and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, that's, so the editing's complicated like that. And then the planning is sort of, you know, quite good fun, stressful. It's time for a little break, just to have a relax. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's get back to it. What was it like shooting at a live... Live festival? Yeah. It was the four lowest days of my life. Of my, certainly my career. Four really low days, that was. It was really, really, really bad. The, person, the liaison person, they gave us... Uh, was just trying to stop us filming to the point of putting their hands over the lens at times, even though we'd agreed to shoot things. The noise, the constant bass and noise was really stressful. We weren't really getting any sleep. It was incredibly muddy. You couldn't really get anything because as soon as Joe walked out, people realised who he was. And, you know, it was a, it was really... And, we, you know, we had all this list of stuff to get, which were just to keep crossing out, knowing we weren't going to get it. And everything that we weren't going to get obviously had a knock-on effect because we needed it. So I was like, we've got to move that back to the site. If we move that back to the set, then we're going to lose something else. So it was a, it was a really, really, really horrible four or five days there. It was grim. When I was there for about three minutes, grim. Yeah. I'm but, glad you found it grim as well because I was thinking, is it just me being a bit of a... No, it was horrible. Maybe I never want to go to a festival mm. ever again. Yeah, I certainly... I mean, I won't be going... I won't be rushing back to that festival, that's for sure. And then, and then it was, so, so it was a few days on the actual festival site, and then there was a mock-up site in yeah, like Bristol, it, which was, uh, incre- I mean, incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, amazing sort of backlot we built. So the idea is to try and match in the sort of, you know, because obviously you, you can't shoot really shoot dialogue at a festival because it's too noisy. So, yeah, I mean, that was pretty grim. So yeah. would you, next film you do... Would you do the total opposite of this, just in one room? I've written a film I wanted to do next, I'll tell you to do next, which is pretty much set in one house in Scotland in the rain. <laughs> that was like, so don't have, to, don't have to worry about if it's raining or not, don't have to go anywhere. Yeah, and that, yeah. I mean that's, because even like the second in between this film was amazing, but we shot for what, a week in the outback, and the lowest temperature was 45, it went wow. up to 50 degrees. And you know, we took all the trucks out to this place that was like nine and a half hours north of Adelaide, and I do remember thinking as we were driving out there, because we'd wrecked it, and I'd flown around the world into South Africa and places to wreck it. And I remember getting there and just thinking, is this what a proper, like a proper director would? Because it's set, it's about them getting lost in the outback and, it, and nearly dying. And if they did get lost in this bit of the outback, they would nearly die. But that's a bit like making a film on the moon and going, well, we need to go to the moon, I'm afraid. There's no other way of doing it. We have to go to the moon to make this work. Um, but I'm very proud of how it looks and I'm really sort of proud of the second film but it was yeah it was another one where I was like this is this is difficult isn't it worked out well right worked out well yeah it's good so if someone's listening to this and they're thinking I want yeah. to be I want to be a director yeah you started off you went the writing route well I didn't I, mean, I didn't even really do that I did I mean I was a I wrote I didn't know anybody that worked in TV I wanted to work in TV because I thought and comedy particularly because I thought Harry Enfield was so funny and I was obsessed with comedy as a kid. And I wrote a load of letters, got a job as a runner, you know, made tea and coffee for two years, uh, exclusively tea and coffee, wouldn't make anything else. And then, you know, worked my way up to researcher. And I thought I wanted to be a producer. And I was a producer for a while. And then after I was a producer, I was a commissioning editor. And after being a commissioning editor, I was like, well, I should try and write something just in case it works. Never know, it might work, probably won't work. And then I always thought Damon was really funny. So me and Damon wrote something together and that became the in-betweeners. And then while we were doing that, we were like, oh, it might be quite fun to direct something. Because we were doing a lot of performance stuff anyway and we were doing all the edit and stuff ourselves as well a lot of the time. So, you know, it was um, it was kind of just a sort of weird 
route. I didn't go straight. I, mean, I think there's lots of different ways to be directors, and I've worked with some kids. Like Ben Palmer, I think, shot, like, you know, um, did kind of like pop videos and stuff like that, and you know, went through that into comedy and stuff. So it's different different ways of going. But um, yeah, I mean, I if you want to be a director, the best these days, it's so cheap to get a hold of stuff. The best way to do it is to do stuff, you know. Whack it on YouTube, make your own films, stop complaining about it. Basically, that's it. It's, the, it's in the doing, isn't it? It's like everything's in the doing, unfortunately. Yeah. When you go, when you watch films... Yeah. Who do you actually, who are you influenced by? Do you actually watch people film and go, actually, I want to make it like that? Do you go back to the archives and think, all right, that, that's an amazing comedy they shot, and that, I'm going to try something a bit like that, or... I'm not a good enough director, no, to do that, really. I think, I'm again, I'm a much more performance director, I think. So I'm just like, if I can get people being funny and shoot and you know, communicate to the team how to make that, you know, funny, how to shoot that in a funny way. That's really what I worry about. I try not to be influenced by other directors because it's just a bit complicated, isn't it? You've got to be clever to do that. And shooting comedy is going to be it's sort of different anyway. Everyone says comedy should be really bright and you should be able to, which I think, I think is a bit of bollocks. It should be overly sort of lit and look happy and look um, nice and bright the whole time. No. I think it's like I think you need to see people's eyes, right? I think if you can't see people's eyes and their mouths, because that's how if you're telling jokes, so I'm talking to you now, and obviously you've been laughing the whole time. The because uh, I can you can see my I'm going to put that, <laughs> a, a laughing track on a constant laughing. <laughs> Just because the giggle, maybe some applause. Some applause would be really good. It's difficult to get one. I might have to put like a big room of applause. But if you just like go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say I'll say at the start. Um, I had that my clapping because yeah. I realised he got too irritated. Yeah. <laughs> but there's but but basically because you can see my mouth and my eyes. That's where the you know, humans communicate humour and important things. I think to a degree that's important. So if it was a film and everyone had the noses sawn off, it would still be funny then. Probably not. No, probably need that as well. Bring the whole face. But then again, I don't think you know. I don't think it's about necessarily about. You know, you could be a blind person that could probably be quite funny as well. But I think you need to be seeing, you know, the face broadly for some sort of, you know, jokes. And other jokes, I jokes meaning sort of community setups and stuff, you can have something a bit a bit different. But broadly, I think as humans, we like to sort of see the person who's being being funny. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting to shot. I once did a DVD of, well, I was in a sketch called We Are Clang. Yes. And we did a live DVD. I remember it. And um, which never got released. Oh. And um, don't, don't remember. It. <laughs> you, you <can't, laughs> I don't remember. It. Can't remember. It. No, but I've, I've seen lots of Clang. I've seen Clang live loads of times, live, live, and I've watched loads of clips on um, YouTube. But what was interesting that was that we they did a, it was a multi camera shoot. Oh yeah. And we went in and watched the edit, and we we were doing the same show for about six years. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah. knew And we watched it back, and we thought, this is. Have we really been doing something, something that shit for, it? for <laughs> six years? It's not. It's not remotely funny. And then we realised that the editor probably did, I don't know what, been the worst job I've ever seen. He got all the, like you were saying, it was a, a massive wide when it should be a single, should have been a two shot here and he, it was on the wrong person. And we went through all the, because they filmed yeah. like, rolling on all six cameras. Yeah. And it changed it so much. That yeah. should just getting the right reactions at the right, the cuts at the right time and knowing where you're going to get, who's, who's, his reaction's funny now, he's telling the joke, you don't need to see his face, it's all the, yeah, exactly that. That's basically what editing a film is, because the editor knows what's happening. But I suppose your or one's skill is to go. I think if that's a little bit later, 
that'll be a bit funnier. And if you come to him a little bit earlier, we get that reaction in the middle of that, I think that'll be funny. It's pretty much just that. Or again, it'd be really nice to see this all in one go. Or actually this bit, you need to go from them to them to them. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's just what it is, isn't it? It's the editing process. And is it hard having to watch it? Like how many, to- how many times do you think you've seen the festival? I mean, the whole way through. 200? So you, you can't get... No, it can't be that music. Don't exaggerate more. Once, probably once a week for... Once a week for maybe 40 weeks. So maybe 40 times I've seen the whole way through. But I've watched bits of it, maybe 200. Well, I, mean, I watch it all the time. So every day for 300 days I've been watching a bit of it. There's a boy in my school who got Rocky Four out uh, 81 times from <laughs> the local spa. And they gave it to the end. But he ended, <laughs> he ended up spending a long stint in prison. Oh, yeah. So I'm just worried about yeah. the, no, no, men- there's been, the mental no, health the, the, effects of that. The process is extraordinary. Like, you genuinely... I mean, I've, I, I don't know how many times I've sat in the past few weeks, particularly with the editor, going, Jesus Christ, I want to do this fucking film again. <laughs> just like, oh, my God, is it this thing again? <coughs> it's just because you've seen it. It was funny, actually, yesterday we were doing the grade where you sort of balance all the colours and, and look at what's happening. And, and the guy that's in the grade, Rob, was like, oh, do you want the sound on while we're doing this? I was like, no, I don't, I don't need the sound. I know, I know every single line, every breath in it. Like, I can, I can do it for you if you want me to. I don't need you to... I don't need to be played out again. But that's kind of, I think that's kind of normal. Actually, it's funny because my, my favourite film director, I think, genuinely, is a guy called Taika Waititi. And he's a really good mate of mine. And we've been friends for a long time. And years ago, like honestly, like probably nine years ago, they had a retrospective at the, at the barbecue for him. And I was like, is it a bit of scene? He went, yeah, I've done two feature films and a short film. And it's a retrospective of my work. But anyway, and one of the films was Boy they were showing. And it was, I guess they were showing it like, because we started drinking quite early. And they showed it like midday, 12.30. And I was like, oh, great. Are you going to come in and watch it? He went, no. And I said, it's... Brilliant! I've seen I've seen it like four times before. Then anyway, I was like, "You got to come watch it on the big screen, huge barbican screen. It's be amazing." He's like, "Absolutely no way!" And, and I was like, "This film is." I, I genuinely think Boy is an almost perfect film. And he was just like, "I said, I, could, I just couldn't get. My, I'd not made a film at the time. I hadn't couldn't get my head around him not wanting to come and see this brilliant film and enjoy people really watching this brilliant film." But now I now I now I don't understand. But what's it like now watching in between his two then? I, I, I haven't, haven't seen it back. I watched, I've seen some clips of it, but I haven't watched it back in four years since we made it. Not because I think it's bad, I think it's very good, but I don't feel a need to. It's like, I haven't got, I can't imagine sitting down to yeah. watch it. It'd be a weird thing to do because I've seen it so many times. But again, when I catch clips of it, and even like the TV show, I haven't, I've never watched back, I haven't watched back a single episode of the TV show. Um, just because, I don't know, I guess there's other things I'd like to watch, like Love Island. Oh no! Yeah, man, Love Island. Oh yeah, Love Don't Island. Don't even watch it. Well, you got to start watching. It's good. Got to read books instead of reading. Just finished down of Green Gables. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I just finished the book, um, the shortest history of Germany, which just seems to be very popular. And you read quite a lot of factual books, don't you? I do actually. Yeah, I try, well, it's interestingly, I read when I'm writing, and normally when I'm shooting, I read non-fiction because I'm concerned. I found that if I'm reading fiction, I tend to get tied up in other people's stories. Whereas when you're trying to tell your own story, you want to be like in, in that story. So non-fiction is quite a nice thing to read when I'm, when I'm writing or directing. And do you think 
directing these films has helped change your writing process. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, if I wasn't so knackered, I wish I'd written four or five scripts just in the past few months while I've been editing because it's absolutely amazing. And I'll forget as soon as I've got a couple of scripts I want to write after this. And I know that I will forget and have all this exposition and all this stuff. But basically in the edit suite, you're cutting constantly. Don't need that, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that. People get it, people aren't stupid. Don't need that, don't need that, people will get it. And, you know, and, and if you did that when you were writing something, it would make your script so much shorter and more readable and tighter. And it kills me that I know I'm going to forget all that when I start writing again. It's like Drive, isn't it, the example? Oh, yeah. Where the Ryan Gosling said to cut all the <clears> to cut half a dialogue. Yeah. Because you didn't need it. And yeah. then his character becomes this sort of sultry, <coughs> silent character, which yeah. is far more yeah. effective. It's one, that's one of the few things, where I read the book called The Driver, where the, the film is better than the book. Yeah. Well, I think, actually, I read, um, I read the first book of Game of Thrones, what it was called. Yeah. And because uh, <clears throat> somebody said to me, like, it's brilliant, it's literature, it's amazing. And I was like, this is absolutely rubbish. <laughs> and it was almost like every time, and that was the first one, which is quite close to it. And I was like, every time they made a decision in Game of Thrones, they made absolutely the right one. Like, if I was George R. R. Martin, I'd be so delighted that they'd overtaken me. Because I'd be like, yeah, this is much better. I can just write, and I'm just going to type this up. I'm going to type up what they've done. I got through, I got through to book three, and I thought, I can't be asked anymore. It's so rubbish. It's really rubbish. Really long and rubbish as well. You can't keep track of the characters. Oh. Well, that was the only good thing, is that when you got to series two of Game of Thrones, I knew exactly the characters were, because I read the book, I was like, okay, I can remember mm. his names. Was everyone was just like, Sean Bean, Mark Addy, Lena Heaney. Do you think they're just changing names to their real names in the book? They should have just changed names. Well, thanks for talking to me, Ian. Um, good luck with the film. Thank you, Marek. Good luck with your film as well, this same film that you're in. Yeah. All right. Um... Uh, thank you. You should do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again sometime. Just do one every week. Do one a week. Ian Stories. And remember, listeners, stay hygienic. Bye. Marek makes a movie. Marek makes a movie. Um. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.